Welcome to our first bonus episode of Eldritch Girl for this new season. And this will be the short story Overexposure, which is a prequel to The Crows and Thirteenth and features Wes Porter. Content warnings are to follow. Overexposure by CM Rosens, all rights reserved. Content warnings for addiction, uh, in this case to a person, um, alcohol and drug use, and some graphic self-mutilation. Only a little bit, though. One. The first time she saw him was through the lens of her camera, the way she saw most of the world. Her mother joked the lens was her third eye, since she was hardly ever without it. Charlie had long ago embraced the fact she saw things the way others did not. So, when she took his picture for the first time, then immediately forgot what he looked like, she had to take his picture again. And again. He was a guest in the whirl of disco lights and ice sculptures, but as soon as the shutter clicked, he was a shadow presence, there, but intangible. A disembodied silk shirt covered in a pattern of stylized peacocks and interwoven with gold thread. Designer jeans of indeterminate length or shape. A faceless, glamorous ghost. He was exactly what she had been trying to capture for years, but didn't have the words to explain. Charlie had won her first photography prize age seven when her father's camera was too heavy for her and she'd had to rest it on the garden wall at their holiday home in Devon that she was almost too short to see over. Her work had tried to capture that ever since, something on the edge of vision, something beyond her limited perspective. Taking promo photos for launch events wasn't really what she wanted to do, but it boosted her profile and meant she could keep the business going without parental help. Charlie knew she was lucky to have her parents and their backing and a nice house in Chelsea and that she could afford to pursue her passion full time. Her grandfather had made the family money, but Charlie had never needed to work the way he had. As far as she was concerned, the carefully cropped and edited family memories of before, before grandfather, before the good schools and the good jobs and the first and second homes and savings accounts were all of the stories she needed to know. She filed them away and went on with living her life, the only one she knew or understood. Her world was telescoped, fragments in a dark room, digital images manipulated with tints and filters, and every experience she ever had was recorded in pictures with compulsive fervour. She wasn't equipped for the man who wasn't there, who resisted record and perforated her memory with magnetic emptiness. The launch party was too warm, she was hungry, her feet ached. She experienced the laughter and sharp profiles of the fashionistas through the glass window glued to her eye, a who's who of London's art scene, erasing the things that ought not to be going on by pointing the camera somewhere else. Still, the small details fascinated her. The perfect black sheen on a model's dress, a single white fleck of cocaine on the frill at her neck, a smudge of dark lipstick on a stubbled cheek, a gleam of gold wrapped around a finger but ignored. Her own reflection only her hair visible around the camera, new flame-red shade replacing mousy brown. She saw the faceless man flickering through the crowd, recognising the clothes, but not the person wearing them. Who's that? she asked Hugo, her favourite of the Chelsea set. Too large and good-natured for his father's cutthroat firm, Hugo was heaping stress and misery on himself in his downtime by hopelessly eyeing up his ex, Justin, and was not paying attention. Who's who? Never mind. 
Charlie patted him on the arm and slid around him, avoiding the knot of their chattering mutuals doing her job. He was a shutter-click and gone, featureless. She couldn't say whether he was tall or short, or if his hair was brown, blonde, or the same shade as her own. She remembered the shirt, the peacocks, the gold thread, but not how it fitted. He was at the buffet table and she took photograph after photograph, stealthy and invisible through the herds of glittering, memorable subjects, until she was so close the camera could focus on individual hairs adhering to his oversized collar. One was long and blonde, one a short black. He smelled of perfume and cologne that wasn't his. "'Want me to pose for you?' he asked, and the thrill at hearing his voice was short-lived. She couldn't remember what he sounded like when he stopped speaking, only what he'd said. Charlie fumbled the camera. Sure. He posed. She drank him in, feverishly clicking, changing the aperture, adjusting the zoom. Let me take one of you. Charlie never let anyone touch her camera. She shook her head, lowering it for a moment. Oh, no, you're fine. I'm not, but thanks for the vote of confidence. The man gave her a high-contrast smile that sliced into her brain and out again. On my phone, I mean. He had the latest model with the best camera, and she was impressed. You take photos? He gestured to her to move slightly to her left, as if he knew what he was doing. Charlie knew the mirror was behind her now and wondered if he'd catch himself in it. It wasn't a good composition. He wasn't a professional. I dabble in lots of things. Ah, Charlie's stomach growled as she realised how close the buffet was. One of those. Oh, ouch. He took his time and she brought her camera up swiftly to take one of him taking her. He tossed his phone in the air, surprising her. It spun and he caught it deftly, flipping it between his fingers in a mesmerising figure of eight before pocketing it. I'll send them to you if you want. Sure. Charlie didn't think about it until she realised what he was doing. He caught her full force with a flash of a dazzling grin. What's your number? I'll send them now. Her chest lurched and she pushed out a breathy laugh. Smooth. I'm Wesley. My friends call me Wes. Hi, Wesley. I'm Charlotte. People call me Charlie. He cocked his head. Oh, double ouch. What if I get you some food and a glass of champagne? One won't hurt, right? What do you think? He had a slight accent she couldn't place, but it wasn't refined. His clothes belonged here, but he didn't. She could see that now, and though when she turned her head to salivate over the buffet, he vanished from her memory, that impression stayed with her. Maybe. He took it as a challenge. Charlie gave him her number. Would you consider modelling for me, she asked as she handed over her business card. Clothes optional, I trust? Definitely. I was thinking in a professional capacity, but you know what? Forget it. She made to take the card back. It disappeared into his top pocket. No, no, so did I. I appreciate the arts, me. Although I don't think any of the snaps you take would be usable. She wasn't certain, but she thought he winked. See you around, Charlie. Two. The first time he whirled into her studio with a swagger and the same silk shirt was during a storm. They had no appointments that day. A delivery had been and gone and the studio was a mess. Charlie had lost a utility knife and had a plaster on her finger from cutting open the boxes of props and films. The wind and rain lashed the pavement outside Charlie's premises on North End Road, pedestrians a jostling gust of umbrellas and flapping coats blowing by the window, when the door burst open 
and there he wasn't. He was a perfect stranger to her at first, but as he took off his sodden coat she recognised the oversized collar and the gold thread through the purple peacocks and knew exactly who it was, because as she blinked, she forgot what he looked like. He had been right about the photographs being unusable. His image in all of them was like a black hole, sucking attention and then fading from memory, leaving a deformed gap in the composition. She'd had to crop him out of every photo he appeared in, spending hours poring over the launch event until she had become an expert at recognising that tug at the back of her eye, alerting her to his presence in a group shot or in the background. And that was before she realised something else. None of the pictures of him would compress. They were the largest images on her computer, and they were the reason it nearly crashed, the reason why it suddenly worked a lot faster when she cropped him out and deleted a load of them. She printed a few out beforehand, though, and these were in her desk drawer. She wasn't sure what to do with them. Ready for my close-up, he announced, holding out a hand. Charlie, right? I don't know if you'll remember me. Wes, we met at the... I remember, Charlie said. He dropped his hand. You do? She extended her own. You got me some food, got my number, and you never sent me the pictures you took of me. He paused before he shook her hand. It felt unlike any other hand she'd touched. His skin buzzed faintly against hers as if he had an electric current running through him. It was like a living overlay, and underneath wasn't flesh, wasn't blood, wasn't bone, just layers and layers of shifting, vibrating images all the way down. She tugged her hand away. Sorry, cold hands, warm heart, that's what they say, right? Wes treated her to a snappy smile, crooked and slipping in and out of her mind in a blink. Is blowing a bloody gale out there any chance of a cup of tea? Charlie swallowed, stomach fluttering. Her hand tingled, aching to touch him again to see if it would be the same the second time. Sure. She regained composure, wondering how to capture him, if the secret was light. She locked the door and led him through to her studio, making sure he could see her fellow photographer in the office so he knew they weren't alone. I'll get you some tea and then we'll get started. Make yourself comfortable. He made straight for the chaise long, draping himself over it like a Shakespearean tragedian. Whenever you're ready. She nodded and made to leave, increasingly flustered at the mess in the room and drifts of flattened cardboard spilling from one corner. Wes sat up abruptly. Jesus! He'd sat on the utility knife. Charlie swore, cheeks on fire. Sorry, we had a delivery and I wondered where that had got to. I must have... God, sorry. No, Anton. He laughed it off and handed it to her. One condition, though. I want all the pictures. All of them. I'll pay you whatever you think is reasonable, but they're all mine, right? Charlie blinked and forgot how serious he looked. Of course. They don't get displayed. No, of course not. You'd have to sign a consent form for an exhibition, or... He lounged back, one leg dangling over the end, one foot on the floor. All right, then. This should be fun. Charlie doubted that. She put the knife on a shelf to deal with later, made him a cup of tea and got started, taking photograph after photograph of the man who wasn't there. The first time they slept together was after another party. She only went because she knew he'd be there. It turned out they had mutual friends, but no one could tell her anything about him. Whenever she asked what he looked like, people got vague. She could pinpoint the moment they realised they didn't know, although they'd known him for three months, two years, six weeks, ten days, however long it had been. They each laughed in a way she came to know well, part embarrassment, part confusion. They each said something like, 
How strange. I've known him for, insert time here, and do you know, I can't really describe him. Hugo was face blind as it was, and very little help, but when Charlie's old school friends invited her to a housewarming in Kensington, he did know that Wes had been invited. The most he could find out for her was that Wes was a curiosity, a fascinating man, although no one could explain what about him was so fascinating. Wes had a reputation for designer drugs too, new, hallucinogenic and expensive. This, Hugo concluded with some straight-laced judgement, was probably what people meant. People could be so dull, Charlie thought, so unimaginative. Why couldn't they see things the way she saw them? She pretended it was professional curiosity. She came to the address armed with her camera and stalked him as Perseus had hunted Medusa through the statues of laughing, careless people who would never be able to describe what they saw. He turned memory to stone. He wasn't so happy to see her. He wouldn't shake her hand. I made a mistake, he said, running a hand through his indescribable hair. She tried to focus on the length this time rather than the colour, but all she could remember was a vague impression that it suited him, which could just have been her imagination. I've had too much to drink anyway. Time to go home. I'll call you a cab. Charlie held out her hand, but he wouldn't take it. I made a mistake, he repeated, studying her. You shouldn't be here. They're my friends, Charlie pointed out. We were at Rodine together. This earned her something like a sneer. Oh, Rodine. Fuck. Good for fucking you. Hey, rude. He didn't belong here, she was certain now. He had a chip on his shoulder a mile wide. Where did you go to school then? What does that matter? Not like anyone remembers. He swayed a little, resplendent in crimson and yellow like a harlequin, an immaculate jester with cocaine on his shirt cuff and a wine stain on his trouser leg. Tell Madge it was a great party. Tell her yourself. I'm going. Wes stumbled for the door. Charlie went after him, weaving around the crowded, jovial apartment, following his trail of slurred apologies. She caught up with him at the lifts. What mistake did you make? she asked. He looked at her with a deep, profound sadness that left its residue on her soul, even as his expression faded out of her mind. I thought it would be fun to have someone take my picture, but it doesn't work, does it? You don't really remember me, do you? Charlie hesitated. The lift doors slid open behind him. He grunted and nearly fell through them. That's what I thought. She slipped in after him before the doors closed. Where did you go to school? He wouldn't answer her. Why can't I remember you? He was so warm. She breathed in red wine in a subtle spiced waft of designer cologne. Wes shook his head. I shouldn't have made you take pictures of me. Wasn't thinking. Just thought it'd be fun, you know, but I don't think. I don't think things through. I'm sorry. Charlie helped him out of the building and he was unsteady as the night air hit them. Where'd you live? Chelsea. Oh, same. We can share a cab if you like. He gave in. All right. The ride back to his place cheered him up, but somehow she ended up paying for it. He invited her in for coffee by way of apology and she kicked off her shoes in the hall, knowing what that was code for. He vibrated against her skin, his lips rough on hers, hungry and desperate. He printed himself over her body, pressed against her in frenetic, clumsy passion, as if he were trying to bury himself inside her skin. His bed was soft, smooth, rumpled, 
clean sheets of Egyptian cotton settled against her back. Afterwards, she couldn't remember what he felt like, but she remembered how he made her feel. He didn't mind that she liked to see other people, and she didn't mind that he did too. They had similar tastes. It worked. He was a hamper of juxtapositions waiting to be unpacked, bound with leather straps and shiny paper, almost beyond her expertise to open. It wasn't just his reticence. He came from a world she didn't understand, and so horribly mundane it was a disappointment. His education was a comprehensive school, narrowly out of the band for special measures, and a local further education college somewhere in Sussex. He had no family money behind him. He claimed to have won the lottery three times. No one wins three times, Charlie said, disbelieving. Doubled it all on stocks, Wes said, straight-faced, as serious as he ever got. Twice. It explained a lot, but raised more questions. So, is this what it cost? Charlie wanted to know, touching his cheek. It hummed faintly against her fingertips, the slight vibration barely registering on the very edge of sensation. She had a thousand theories by now, from genetic mutation to a Faustian bargain. I made a mistake with you, Wes said, helpless when she touched him, staring into her eyes. I shouldn't have... But she kissed him, and he got lost in her all over again, burying his pain in her body like a treasure he kept coming back for. They went on dates like a normal couple. He took her to swinger parties, and she took him to kink clubs, and they went to dinner and coffee and cocktails in the theatre. He surprised her by liking Beethoven and Rossini. The more she got to know him, the more she ached to seal him in her head, lock his features up and keep them for herself. But they just filtered through her fingers like hourglass sand. If she could know him better, for longer, perhaps then, perhaps... You're special, he slurred at her often, and Charlie would have sliced her heart out for him. You make me feel seen. But she couldn't see him. She played her memories forwards and back at double and half speed, but she couldn't see the man behind the wheel of the sports car who took country lanes too fast, the radio blaring. She couldn't see the man on the dance floor commanding the attention of a thousand raised hands. She couldn't see the man obscured by sunbeams and fountain spray, an invisible shape bending rainbows around his body, splashing her until she shrieked. Other people didn't think about it. They didn't see the world as she did. Wes Porter had her whole attention, was intertwined with her imagination and creativity like ivy around a tree, digging his roots into her and strangling everything else until there was only him left, bound tightly around the place where she used to be. Her art was full of gaps in space and absence. She won an award, but at the presentation her eyes were glued to the table she had left, willing his pride and applause to stick willing his expression to remain embedded in her brain. When nothing worked, she tried to unlock flashbacks of his face instead with acid tabs and mushrooms, but that only made her sick. She burned for him, feverish, desperate to see him as often as she could. Nothing else mattered. She was his priestess, the keeper of his whispered fears, and she drank his presence down like communion wine. I'm no good for you, he whispered in her ear, before they made love and he flickered against her flesh at a thousand frames per second, hurling her into the chasm of ecstasy she craved, and she didn't care. 3. He left one day in March, after setting fire to all the photographs of himself he could find. She was left with a photo of herself at the award ceremony, 
her eyes misty and vacant as they stared through the camera and tried to conjure something she couldn't ever fully grasp. It was only then, looking at that picture he had left on her desk at the studio, that she realised what he had done to her. She traced the dark rings under her eyes, visible under the makeup. Her face was too pale, and the shade of foundation she had put on for the occasion no longer matched. Her eyeshadow was too heavy, her lipstick was smudged a little on one side from the delighted kiss he'd planted on her, missing her lips in his glee. How had she missed the signs in the mirror? She stared from the photo of herself to her reflection framed on the office wall and saw a stranger there. She hadn't dyed her hair in a while, but the faded red was still too strong for how pale she'd become. Who was that haggard, hollow woman with the staring eyes? Charlie couldn't remember. She still had the photographs of Wares from their first meeting, still tucked away in her desk. He hadn't burned those. He hadn't thought to look everywhere. She dug them out and stared at them, the only images of him that she had left, and lost time. She had copies made. She took people back to the studio and stared at Wes's pictures while they fucked her. She stopped taking appointments and scrolled her friend's social media, searching for photos that tugged her eye to a corner or a space in the frame where Wes had been caught in the background. She printed out as many screenshots as she could and plastered the walls with blown-up versions until the wall itself disappeared behind the layers of paper. You can't keep staring at a blank wall, her friend Hugo said, the only one who still checked in on her. Cha-cha, are you listening to me? It's not blank, Charlie said, waving at the pictures. Can't you see him? The guy? Oh, God. Hugo saw the pictures as if for the first time. Except it was the fifth. Charlie was counting. I didn't even notice. That's... That's creepy, babe. Who... Who is he? Wes Porter. His name fell from her lips, his taste just out of reach. I've met him, haven't I? I know that name from somewhere. He looked away, chiselled boyish face creased with concern, and she almost saw the memory of Wes leaving his head the way it slid out of her own as soon as she looked away. He was too straightforward to admit anything strange had happened, and so, as far as he was concerned, nothing had. You can't stay here staring at a blank wall. When he left, Charlie put her camera to her eye and took photograph after photograph of the wall, more layers to add to the mosaic of the invisible man. If she added enough, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. But it was never enough. It became clear he was not coming back. It should have been obvious from the start when he blocked her number and wouldn't respond when mutual friends put in a word. They didn't say where he was and looked at her in a certain way, somewhere between pity and distaste, as if she was some crazy person they had to deal with and not their friend Charlie, whom they'd known first, years before him, for God's sake. All she wanted was his fucking number. He'd left London. No one knew or would tell her where he'd gone. Her parents were upset. She couldn't deal with them, so she moved into the studio and slept on the chaise long where he'd draped his forgettable body the first time he'd breezed into her workplace in the arms of a storm, where he'd fucked her more than once, later, and where no indent or scent of him remained. Hugo was right, though. She couldn't keep staring at the wall. She could sit there and waste away to nothing, waxy with sweat and tears and exhaustion, until she melted into the floorboards and found oblivion, yes. 
but she couldn't keep staring at the wall. No matter how she trained herself, she had to blink eventually. As soon as she blinked, she saw him again for the first time. The interruptions began to grate on her. Hugo was threatening to bring her parents to the studio. Bring Wes here, she snapped at him, and when he wouldn't go, she threw the nearest, heaviest thing she could at him to drive him off. Her camera struck his hip as he failed to catch it. Hugo staggered back, boyish face a picture of shock, and the camera clattered to the ground. The lens cracked, fragments of the casing skittering across the floor. Charlie didn't care. Find Wes, you stupid fuck, get the fuck out! Hugo left, and Charlie returned to the mosaic of the invisible man. Her camera was broken. She stared through it anyway, finger miming the motion against the shutter, not taking pictures. She gave up leaving the room for the bathroom, then gave up eating and drinking. Hugo hadn't been by for a couple of days, and there was no water left in her flask anyway. She got used to the smell and the way her clothes adhered to her skin, the clammy mess that never seemed to dry properly, her body expelling things she couldn't remember putting into it in the first place. She learned to become so still, so focused, that she didn't blink even when a fly landed on her eyelid. There were a lot of them. They bothered her more than the smell because when something disturbed them, they obscured her view. Something had to be done. Charlie woke up on the studio floor, still tacky with her own urine. The camera was still broken. Flies buzzed lazily over her dress, tickling her hands. She couldn't go on like this. The utility knife Wes had sat on the first time he came to the studio was still there, tucked away on a shelf. In her mind's eye, its sharp, triangular blade slid out of the plastic sheath with a click. The point was perfect. Something has to be done, Charlie thought, worried about doing it wrong. She dragged herself towards it, forgetting Wes in the process. He slid from her line of sight and out of her head as she hauled her shivering body to the blade. Something had to be done. She ought to check herself in somewhere to do it for her. Lots of her friends had had work done. This was only a small thing, a quick incision, easy for a professional. But her hands were shaky and she didn't want to damage her actual eyes. The tiny mirror in her camera wasn't any good, the size of a frame on a film negative. It would have to do. Downstairs she heard the studio door open and voices, but she couldn't fix them in her head. She hoped they would go away. Charlie focused on the tiny part of her brow bone she could see, streaks of old eyeshadow powder sticking to the skin. It wouldn't take long, she told herself. Two incisions, not too deep. She imagined it would be like peeling palm ham, but her hand was trembling and she wasn't confident. The voices were raised in an argument below her. Charlie tried to tune them out. She needed to concentrate. The first cut was not deep enough, and she only made it halfway across. The eyelid did not cleanly separate, but clung with a shred of skin underneath. Blood obscured her vision. Heavy treads ascended the stairs and headed to the studio. Her hand faltered and slipped, and she sliced upwards by mistake, drawing a line of red through her eyebrow like a clumsy child playing with lipstick. The pain didn't register at first. The door burst open as she tried to slice the other lid, making an incision too high this time and scoring the blade tip against her orbital bone. It's all right, she assured the figures in the doorway, blinking blood away with one eyelid barely hanging on, one straining against the cut above it. It hurt now, but wincing made it worse. It's all right, don't worry, I've nearly done it. 
but strong hands caught her wrist and twisted until she cried out and let the knife drop, and she heard the paper being torn from the wall. Charlie screamed, but her throat was cracked and dry, her body too weak to fight back. Look what you've done, Hugo shouted, but Charlie couldn't see anything except blood and pain and floating orbs swimming faintly across her ruined sight. Besides, he wasn't talking to her. What did you do to her? It's okay, she assured him, her eyelids sliding further down, eyelashes tickling the top of her cheek. Shh, Hugo, Huey, shh but her voice cracked and choked, betraying her. He wouldn't let her go, and she worried it was because she had thrown her camera at him. Someone touched her forehead. Their skin vibrated softly against hers. Charlie couldn't see through the stinging wet veil dripping into her eyes or control her lids properly to open them. I didn't know it'd be this bad, they said. I swear to God I didn't know. The words stuck, but the voice didn't. Her heart leapt, weak pulse fluttering into life and buffeting her ribs. I need to see you, she whispered, reaching as far as Hugo would let her. I need to see your face. You will, he promised, but she couldn't see anything. Bloody red stars of pain were in the way. If Hugo hadn't kept hold of her wrists, she would have rubbed it away, scrubbed her eyelids off with her trembling, dirty fingers. I need to see you now, she pleaded, but he had stepped away and she heard him talking to an operator. Please, I need to see you now. I need to see you now. Please, please. Her memory was blank. Nothing else existed but the black hole in her head, sucking everything else into it. She was still begging when the lights pierced her consciousness and straps took over from Hugo's grip, and she would do anything to make it all up to him if only he peeled her eyelids back and let her see uninterrupted forever. The paramedics took over. She wasn't sure how they got in or how long it had been, but her voice was giving out and she was tired of fighting. There was nothing but the void in her head where Wes had once been, a hungry void that ate up everything else in her head and demanded to be filled. Please, she begged, throat hoarse, as the room wheeled away from her and everything she needed was taken away. Please. Someone pressed something familiar and hard onto her stomach. She grabbed at it before they could strap her other arm properly, the body a reassuring shape and weight, the lens aperture ring rough under her fingertips. It was still broken, but she clutched it to her chest as carefully as she could with her upper arms strapped down, rubbing the shutter button like a prayer bead, pointing the cracked lens at the ceiling, so it saw what she could not. Well, um, if you like that... (laughs) Um, Wes Porter is a main character in 13th, um, which is being serialised right now as season two of the podcast. Um, He is a cameo in The Crows as well, where um, he's spending more time in Pagamon Sea in the house that he's bought there. Um, This is very much like his prequel backstory. And he's with Hugo as well by the time we get to 13th. So this story took place about eight years before the happenings of the crows. Um, So uh, if you enjoyed it, you can read it for yourself. That one is published. You can read it as an ebook only, Um, but you can grab a copy from my Kofi shop, which is 
uh, ko-fi.com forward slash cmrosens so ko-fi.com forward slash cmrosens um, you can grab copies from any uh, ebook retailer and also from amazon you can go to my website for all of the links to that or just check out cmrosens.card c-a-r-r-d dot co co um, and you'll have all of my links for everything is just on that landing page uh, yeah, so hopefully you enjoyed that. Paul, where's eh? I mean, don't be too sorry for him. He's a, he's a Tory. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, if you want to know how all that turns out, carry on with 13th and you'll see. Hopefully that wasn't too scarring. <laughs> see what I did? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been fun for me have a good one um i'll see you again very soon bye now